Hello, dear friends, and welcome to The Natural High, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. This week, I've got a wonderful guest who I have had an amazing an hour and a half chatting to about so many different things, so many different elements of life. Uh, I want to use her own website to describe her because I always waffle on for hours about my guests but in fact most of the time they describe themselves way better than I can so the website earth medicine love all the links of course are on my website thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash Catherine Chapman that's c-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e Chapman c-h-a-p-m-a-n Anyway, Catherine is a visionary, teacher, speaker, artist, writer, healer, and nature enthusiast. Her work is known as something that is out of this world, powerful and intuitive. She has spent her lifetime developing the ability to create customized healing sessions for individuals and groups. Her trainings are educational, fun, and empowering. Catherine is a born empath that utilizes earth energy that will support you in healing and well-being. She works with you and spirit guides so that your innate wisdom is activated. Catherine works with you in a three-session system, clearing, aligning, and grounding. As I said, it's a wonderful conversation. I cannot wait to tuck in with you to this one because I learned so much, as usual. So, as I said, you can go to thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash Catherine Chapman to find out all about her, to find links to everything that she's involved with, and also to reach out to her, of course. As ever, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. (sighs) The Natural High. Parenthood. Have you got kids? No. Right. But uh, I raised I raised two. Okay. So you've got a good experience then. You know what it's like. And you can't really describe it to someone. It has to be experienced to really feel it properly. Yeah. Um, it's a thing. My sister always says to me that everybody always caveats. They, they moan about having kids and then they caveat it at the end always with, but I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and the truth is i would not change it for the world it's a wonderful thing like you know just to have your child smile at you or do something can just make you up make your whole week but at the same yeah. time your your time i wouldn't even call it free time just time to nourish yourself is, is taken away and to maintain yourself like even just brushing your teeth and things like that that, that sort of time is squeezed out of your life it's unbelievable uh, yeah, and at the moment she is, um, she's teething, and she's just had her. Um, she had six injections yesterday. The poor little thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her one year injections. So she's not in great form at the moment. She's been um, any chance to scream, she will scream. I know it's not funny, but it is. oh my god, I am I've, I am such a blessed and happy human being. So laugh away. It's absolutely fine. And you know what? I'd rather. I think I'd rather be busy than bored. But I am sort yeah. of. I, I'm more busy than I bargained for. Yeah, I know I went, so I didn't have babies, but I know from, you know, because when I started helping with the kids that I helped raise, they were five and six, but I know just from friends and, you know, family, like the, the first couple years, it's, it's like a whirlwind. Mm. And like you said, like trying to brush your teeth, your hair, even take a shower. Like 
I've gone over to friends' houses and just held their babies so they could take a shower. You know, those kinds of things. It's that's real. Yeah. (laughs) 10 minute breather can be so amazing. But I think you sound bona fide to me. If you've looked after, if you've raised five and six year old children, what was that situation? Are you comfortable to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was with somebody for 12 years, so his kids were that age when we met. And so they were, you know, 17, 18 uh, when we split. And uh, yeah, just they were in my life. You know, I helped. I was with them a lot. They were with their mom full time in the sense that that was their main house until they were teenagers. And then I had the opportunity to take them in full time at the age of 15 and 16, which was very intense because both their mom and dad weren't around that much that whole year. Um, so I, it was like me solo with these two teenagers oh my God. that were both, you know, first of all, just teenagers, but also pissed at their parents. <laughs> Having spoken to you for an hour before, you're one of the more tranquil people I know, but that must have really challenged your inner calm. It did. I would lock myself in a closet and chant the Hanuman Chalisa and like... But it must, but it must have been gratifying too, because you are such a care. You're now, you're a genuine altruist. It seems to me. So being able uh-huh. to give to them must have been quite nice. And at such a, a challenging time of their lives, obviously, without the guidance of their mum and dad. It was, you know, and what I did was I worked. Their dad was there. He just traveled a lot, and like what I did was I really worked towards peace for their whole family unit, you know, and that was like one of my goals, which we achieved, um, which was where. They um, all were in conversations they hadn't had in the whole time I had known them, you know, and just so, yeah, but it was, I mean, I was 31, you know, it was challenging. It wasn't like I was a wise sage or anything. No, of course. Uh, but it, it, having that sort of slight separation in terms of not being a blood relative might have actually helped you in some way, I suppose, because they could have, they might have viewed you more as a friend. Are you still in, in uh, contact with them these days? I'm sure they love they, you. They did. Well, they did me as a friend. And that was one of the things because I had never been, you know, a ruler in their lives that always kind of played more of that like hey, you know let's go play you know yeah sure because they had their parents so I was very cautious about being an enforcer and but during that time I had to be and I remember having to sit them down and be like hey guys like uh you know we're friends here and like we're family and you guys can't vibe me out hard because I'm just not used to living with people that like don't like me. <laughs> 15 and 16 as well. My God. Yeah. Challenging ages. Yeah. Good on you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I was so keen to chat to you because everything I've heard and read about you, and obviously my wife knows you, you just seem like such a fascinating person. And after the last time we spoke to each other, um, I went on your website and checked out the sort of stuff you've done, you, you, you are interested in. And there was just sort of myriad pursuits there. It's just fascinating to me. I, I want to talk to you about teaching and writing and your art and your healing and, and being an empath as well. But I suppose to start with, just to find out a little bit more about your backstory and um, yeah, how did you get onto this path in your life? Were there any particular childhood or formative experiences which really inspired you to take the journey you've you've taken? And yeah, tell me a bit about younger your formative years. Yeah, I think well, in the sense of being, you know, I uh, on the path of you know the seeker. Let's say that's one way people call it, or just you know, really connected to nature and um, spirit. 
I, I think I was, my mom says I was born okay. in that way. She calls me her Buddha baby. <laughs> now my nickname by my sister is the uh, Sicilian Yogi. So I have a fiery side. I'm not like oh, all man. sunshine and roses. <laughs> and that's part of how I found the path actually, you know, but as a kid, I took myself to church at a really young age. I was drawn to the music um, and I think the prayer. And um, once I was like, I also grew up in Santa Cruz for a few years in the mountains with the trees. And so I had that in my most formative years, like three to Mm -hmm. seven years old, just being in nature and then moved back to San Diego on the beach. But um, I, once I I kind of found the dogma of the church and everything, I left, I was not interested in the, the hypocrisy, the adults and like the, you know, the teachings that didn't make sense. So I think that was where I just went into more of like existential, you know, questioning of like, you know, who are we? Why are we here? I look back at some of my writing as a, as a kid and I'm like, wow, I was always asking these questions. It wasn't like I, so like, it wasn't like something major happened uh, that I can recall, but I definitely was always curious. I always like, you know, like, well, people were at, you know, at parties in high school, I'd be like laying on the lawn, looking up the clouds, just, you know, I'm really interested in the movement of nature. So, um, yeah. And then what really got me on the yoga path was I was a professional cook. There you go. Yet, a, yet another talent. Yeah, and I was pursuing acting in Hollywood. So I was cooking by night and, you know, going to, and you know, auditions and all that. And uh, I got conned out of all my money by a legitimate con man. Like, you know, it's a true art. I I understand that after it happened to me. Wow. It sounds like you have a modicum of respect for him, even though he took all of your money. I do, I do because you can't get, like, I'm not somebody that just hands money over. <laughs> yeah, he was good. He was good. He was good. <laughs> what happened? What um, happened? Well, he got my head shot through my agent and he, you know, called me directly, told me he had a part for me um, and then, like, had me come meet him and got me in the first meeting into the Southern Actors Guild building and actually got me a card, which is almost impossible to do. Like as an actor, it takes a long time to get that card. So he had someone working on the inside with him. And so it seemed really legit because he's like, you have to be a SAG member in order to get the, um, you know, the, the part. And it was with some... I can't remember the director now, but it was MGM Studios. You know, he had the whole thing. I mean, it was the whole operation. And um, then he offered me a job while we were negotiating this contract, right? And uh, just got got checks from me and stuff like that and got got all my money. And how? How did he get money from you by offering you a job? it, it was that's what I mean it was such a, yeah so, you didn't even realize it was happening I didn't even realize it was happening it was so convoluted it was just like um here let me have one of your checks because I need the number and then before I knew it my bank account was drained um and it wasn't like I had a lot like a lot of money yeah. but it was all the money I had you know and yeah and if you haven't got a lot of money it's even more important the money yeah. you do have in your bank 
And so um, I just don't know how anybody could justify doing that as a human being. Like I genuinely cannot understand how somebody could do that and sleep and, and live with themselves. Me neither on it. Like he used, and he also used like his faith because he tapped in. So the first call, he asked me a bunch of questions and, you know, he must've just been taking notes. And that was one thing he connected us to was like the faith and like everything mm. happens for a reason. And mm. then Basically, I was sitting outside MGM Studios. He told me we had a meeting finally with this director. It had only been seven days. That's how long it, it went on for every single day. And um, I was sitting there waiting for him. And he called me and he's like, it'll be another few minutes. Just trust me. And he hung up the phone. And I'm thinking, trust me. And then the song from Jungle Book, when Ka the snake sings to Mowgli as he raps, you know, trust in me. Do you remember that scene? I don't remember. You're going to have to sing it. Okay. No, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> sing it. But that song, I started singing it, which it's a snake trying to kill a little boy while he put. Right. I do vaguely remember. And in that, that moment, I knew it was, I can't explain it, but I knew I had gone. I started in my car. I drove away. I couldn't get a hold of him after that. Um, and I, I had to, I had been living, I moved out when I was 16. And that was mm. when I was 25, I had to come back and stay with my family for like a period of time just to get my feet back, you know, like get back wow. on my feet. And during yeah. that time, I met my first yoga teacher and I'd been doing yoga in LA, um, just more like fitness, but this was my first like spiritual teacher, the one that gave me like, you know, that first download and I did uh, my first teacher training. And that's really how I got on the path of teaching yoga. It was not a plan. It wasn't like, Oh, I want to be a yoga teacher. Um, I just thought once I got certified, well, this is really helping me. Maybe I'll teach a class to help other people. And it took a life of its own after that. Did that feel sort of fatalistic to you at all? You know, maybe that was the only thing that that guy said, which, which had any value that everything happens for a reason because your whole path in your life was totally influenced by that awful experience somebody of yeah. you know somebody as presentable as you and as bright and charming as you are would probably have succeeded to a degree in in los angeles in hollywood eventually but would yeah. that have been would that would that have sated you you spiritually and you would have sated your soul this and do you believe in fate um i do believe in i believe in fate yeah and i do think it was you know a, a gift wrapped in really messed up packaging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it would have had to be messed up packaging for you to have probably leave that scene and think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was like driven. This is what I mean, you know. And yeah, so absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I do believe it was part of the, you know, that universal going, oh, go. Oh. <laughs> um, and so did you find that you had a sort of natural aptitude for yoga or did you find it really annoying to start with like most people do? Um, with the practice, the well, meditation, no. Meditation was super challenging for me. That's strange because you were somebody who loved nature so much. You'd have thought that you might have been able to find your inner calm quite easily. Uh, no, I was not calm at all inside. Mm. I was... So, well, and I was still cooking professionally. So, you know, everything in my mind was very much like by the minute, like I was going so fast. Um, and I also had a lot of like unresolved anger at that life. And mm. so when I first tried to sit down, like the very first time I lit a candle, you know, like I put on my, my little picture of the teacher of my teacher 
And she told me to meditate for 30 minutes. And I remember I sat, I closed my eyes and then I thought, okay, at least five minutes have gone by and I opened my eyes and a minute had gone by and I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> was it, was it, was, was it TM? Was it any particular type of meditation? What was the practice itself? Yeah, no, it was just sit, breathe, watch your thoughts. It was a very simple meditation technique. And yeah. come back to the breath. Come back to the breath. Notice when you're thinking, label it thinking, come back to the breath. Yep. And so I went back to her and I was like, there's no way I'm doing 30 minutes mm. in the morning and at night. And she's like, okay, start with five. So I started off with five minutes a day. And then with the yoga practice, physically same, I had a lot of aches and pains from being such an physically active person like backpacking and you know um skateboarding and stuff like that and then I had arthritis kind of showing up and so it wasn't like I could just go into these amazing poses it was challenging for me physically too uh and so it really that was one reason why I wanted to get back to people because it helped my body so much it helped me be pain-free yeah and was that really like a, a, a long-term process or was there, did you have some kind of revelation with it and all of a sudden it just started work, feeling right with your body? I mean, was it was it a long process? Did you have to show real tenacity to, to get through the other side of the tunnel? I had to be disciplined. I had to do it every day. Um, mm. But I would say what happened was when I realized how important the breath was and that I was holding my breath most of the time and then realizing that when I held my breath, I was actually holding in tension. And I started wow. to notice that when I was cooking, notice that when I was walking. And so I started to breathe more. And I think that allowed energy to flow through my body better. Wow. Um, and I just became a little bit more physically, you know, healthy in general, also mentally, emotionally. And then That's- kind of to my heart, I realized I was totally shut down, you know, emotion like on a, I had a lot of armor up. Like I was, I was one of those people, I tell people this when I teach uh, like teacher trainings and stuff, those people that would like cut you off on the freeway and then flip you off. Like I, you know, I wasn't, I was like, I had road rage. I had, you know, I was like, ah, we're in a hurry here. And, uh, yes, <laughs> I know that feeling. With the meditation, it's so interesting what you're saying about holding the breath, and and that's really true. And like I, unless you actually take the time to check in to to your physicality, you often don't realise how things like that are happening the whole time. Like for example, I I do calm on a regular basis, and I try, I'm struggling to squeeze it in, but I know that I need to as much as possible. And I did a calm the other day, and it was all about you know to start with just relaxing, relax specifically your mouth. And only when I was told to relax my mouth did I realize how stressed out my mouth was, how like I was just sort of grimacing the whole time. And so just being able to physically checking in with your body and things like that, it gives you so much more awareness, doesn't it? Is there anything in particular, like for people that haven't done it so much or are struggling to get in, are there, are there some good tips that you have in terms of moving forward with it? Yeah, well, I think the first one is like not to have goals and you know, recognizing like just to be in each practice, whatever you choose to do, like just be curious. So I think curiosity is a huge goal that helps so much. And then also getting out of like that framework of I have to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, because like with, especially with meditation, there's nowhere, we're not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like not only are we not physically going anywhere, but like you're going to have great meditations and then you're going to have challenging meditations throughout the years. Like, it's not like 
you reach a certain level and then that's it. It's nirvana. That's not the way, at least that's not the way it's worked out for me. I've had years of blissed out meditations and then gone right back to like right where I started. So, so I think the tip is, is patience, curiosity, and then breath. Like I, out of anything, you know, one of uh, my teachers, Gary Krastow, he says, the breath is your best friend. You know, it's your teacher, it's your lover, it's your confidant. Like can, that is, that's where it's at. And I think that that's the tool is just noticing how am I breathing because the breath will mimic what the mind is doing. So like, if my mind is gripping, I'm probably going to be holding my breath or tightening right. my lips. Right. Yep. And if my breath is flowing or it's challenging to breathe, like if, then it's like, Oh, what's going on? There's that it, it mimics the physiology and the mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of um, scientific research about that now, isn't there? An increasing amount. I've been reading a lot about that. It's fascinating. Um, are there any breathwork techniques that you could uh, talk about quickly? Is there anything in particular that, you know, helps you on a daily basis, which we might be able to go through right now? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well, you are putting me on the spot. Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to think of other tools for people that are trying. And it also don't give up, you know, right. like that's yep. the other one is like, just to keep going and be like, enjoy the, that part of it, you know, it's so cliche and the, enjoy the journey, but it's, I mean, the only successful meditation is actually doing it right. Yeah. Doing it on a regular basis. Yeah. And then, and connecting the heart energy. I think that's another one that, you know, not like the ooey gooey, like, Oh, let's like, you know, connect to our hearts, but just actually feeling the, and, and science is starting to prove this, which is so cool to the field of our hearts. So they're showing like our hearts have memory, just like the brain, our, our you know, they, it, the uh, force field of the heart can radiate out like a couple feet. So getting- I've spoken to that, a guy about this on the podcast, actually, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, it really is. And it's something that I've felt, but now it's like, and I don't know, maybe science was already doing that when I felt yeah. it. I'm not a big researcher. I'm just, okay. I'm more of a, you know, experiential learner, but um. And then with breath practices, honestly, like there's so many, right? There is just, and there is a lot of information out there. So it, it's it's very personal. I think the best to date is inhaling through your nose, exhaling through your nose and doing it at a equal part, you know? Now you can do like add-ons of like, I'm gonna inhale for let's say a count of five and I'm gonna exhale for seven if you wanna calm down. That's like a ratio that calms your system. And then there's okay. other ones that, you know, stimulate you. But I think most of us in our society need to calm down. So I'll stop with that. <laughs> so true. And the very last guest I had on the podcast was talking about this breathing in through your nose and breathing out through your nose, because apparently we can take on board too much oxygen by breathing in through our mouth. So we're not using oxygen effectively. And apparently we can have too little CO2 in our bodies, which is something I had no idea about either. Yeah. So like working out, if you can breathe nostrily, it's it's really powerful. Uh, and then, yeah, so I think I I'm 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 all about the simple practices, you know. I'm all about like the forward bend over the like putting your feet behind your head. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from Leonardo da Vinci, who said, "Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication." Uh, I like. That. We often overcomplicate things, don't we, to try and seem cool? Yeah, and and <laughs> yes, we're, yes, I agree. And the simple postures and the simple breaths are what really the magic. That's where it is. Yeah. And it takes patience. <laughs>
it takes patience to do a boring pose and a boring breath. It's much more sexy, like you're saying. Like, it's so ooh, true. <laughs> But I just think with meditation, it just by degrees, like it's like a, a thousand layers and every day maybe you add another little layer of awareness of just not even being able to uh, concentrate or let your, your, your thoughts pass you by, but just being aware of what's happening, aware of the mechanism a little bit more each day. I find that really gratifying. It, I agree. And that's for me, it took me about four years before I got into a meditative state. You know, and I and I got from those five minutes to like 30 minutes to an hour to where I was meditating for wow. like seven, eight hours. And wow. And I did I would I did that every Saturday. I would turn everything off and meditate every Saturday. And, and this is when I was like teaching full time in San Francisco. And I really once I started what you're saying about the sensations, I noticed like my legs would start to fall asleep. And that's when I would pull myself out like, oh, I'm, my legs are falling asleep. I need to move. And then I got past that and just thought, okay, what if I just breathe that sensation? And then it got into more of that expanded awareness. And so it is, it's layered, like you're saying. It's it's beautiful layers. Yeah, yeah definitely. Really gratifying. I mean, I just think as a population, we don't spend enough time nurturing and nourishing our, our minds. No, not at all. Well, and that's, that's the part we're doing culture, right? Versus a a being culture and uh you know okay. it's, it's one of the things that i think is wrong with our society <laughs> in the of course like we we need to do in certain ways like right like be in community with others uh eat nourishing food drink water live in our purpose or our path and like generate service um do it, you know, that's the doing, but this like, go, go, go fast, bigger, better, faster. And that's much more United States. Like you're, you're not from the U S but I think it's trickled out to globally in many ways, this, mm. you know, go, go, go accumulate things. You know, it's, it's an issue as we're yeah. environmentally. Uh, I mean, oh, so true. Yeah. You've described it so succinctly as well. The the idea of the doing culture rather than the being culture. And so many of us, myself included, finds it really hard just to be. And I know that lots of my listeners would be particularly interested in, interested in that and would totally agree with you. Um, we just don't take enough time just to stop and allow awareness. What about the yoga? Uh, I'm fascinated to hear how much meditating you do and that's just awesome. What about the yoga? Is that a daily practice still at this point in time? It is. Yeah, it's a daily practice. You know, I do shorter practices than I used to, you know, it's more maintenance because I do a lot of other physical activities. Um, so I would say my meditation and breath is more of my practice these days, but I still do like a 10 to 30 minute sequence just to like, make sure my body's still open and doing its thing. Yeah. If, you, if for some reason you have to miss it. Does it make you feel bad? I try not to be attached to it. That's part of the practice, oh, you know. Oh, so, yeah, um, sure. But yes, I like I like to I like to do it, and also um, I like I said, it helped me with certain physical stuff that I have um, from like car accidents and stuff. So I notice if I don't do it, like pretty after one or two days my body's like um excuse me could you please stretch your lower back right. <laughs> wow yeah absolutely you must enjoy being that supple and you probably never you probably appreciate it never take it for granted because as you say if you weren't to do it for a couple of days you already feel yourself getting yeah, a bit more absolutely. yes and i 
also had to work towards being strong again. So I got so hyper flexible from the yoga practice um, that I had to go. That's one reason I backed off and I had to go into strength training and other things to stabilize because I was getting a little too loose in my ligaments. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, one of the more interesting elements of the conversation I had with the last guy who was a pharmacist was he was telling me that the pharmaceutical industry basically tries to make silver bullets. So, you know, cures for everyone instead of bespoke medicine for because bes e everybody's got a different body and everybody's yeah. unique. The natural high. And you can find that episode at thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash Soma Breath. That's S-O-M-A-B-R-E-A-T-H. Would that be the same for yoga? Would there be a particularly effective set of yoga uh, moves or is it really just dependent on the person? So there's different schools of thought around that. There's certain schools where it's like, this is the sequence and it's good for everybody. Um, I believe it's more individual. Uh, you know, the, the last, let's say, eight years, I've been studying a style called Vini yoga, which was, is the, in the Krishnamacharya lineage, which is like where we see most Western yoga is from that lineage, uh, regardless of how it's shown up. But uh, he was very, in his older years, Krishnamacharya was very much about prescribing like unique practices to people for whatever they needed. And I think it makes sense because we do all have different bodies, but we also have different minds. So, you know, to train the mind, that's the biggest uh, reason you do breath work, yoga poses. It's all training for the mind. It's all the science of the mind. It's about getting it ready so you can meditate. It's preparation for that sleep. <laughs> So basically, I thought I thought about, you know, whether I should close the door before I started the interview. But I know that he would just be scratching on the door either to get in or out. And he basically completely rules the roost. I saw on your website, you have one picture with you and yes. a dog. Do you want to tell me something about your love of dogs? Do you have a particular affinity with them? I don't have a particular affinity. I have my dog that I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god the dogs they're so magical they're, they're they? so magical she's my first dog i didn't grow up with with animals and um same i got her about six years ago and she's changed my life mm. i mean she's she's my teacher you know going back to the practice like anytime i'm taking myself too seriously she's got like a toy in her mouth and she's like wiggling her tail I'm like oh that's right <laughs> that's right Talk about living in the moment. Yeah. Talk about living in the moment. Dogs are just so perfect for illustrating that. And, you know, like from a distance, a lot of us could just sort of think, oh, they, you know, they're small brain creatures. But I learned so much from my yeah. dog. My dog has made me so much more physically healthy. My dog gets me out um, for walkies twice, three times a day. And I appreciate nature so much more than I ever did before I had a dog. Yeah. And, and as I said, that living in the now, that living in the present, they don't give a monkeys about yesterday or tomorrow. They just, all they care about is now and whether you're going to play with them. That's right. They're so cool. I, yeah. So that's my love of dogs. Her name is Starlight Moon and she's, she's been through, um, she grew up in the yoga studio. So she's been through five yoga teacher trainings and taught hundreds of classes. So she's loves to sit while everyone practices and alms. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming, I'm going to sound so naive here, but I'm assuming the term downward facing dog comes from the dog, from the actual, you know. 
the, yeah, a lot the of the poses they all have an, they have animal names like cobra pose upward facing dog so the it's said you know it's speculation um but that a lot of the postures were created by them watching animals which i'm sure is true wonderful yeah. i love my dog so much i probably to his detriment because he's so spoiled yeah Every time he goes to the vets, he's, been, he's told that he needs to lose weight. But he's such an active Yorkshire Terrier. To me, he doesn't look overweight at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But, okay, so based on those yoga moves, is there something which you can't be without on a daily basis? Are there a couple of particular movements that you have to do, that you will always do? Um, I mean, do you take vinyasa every day? Do you? No. I, you know, honestly, what I can't do without, which I travel with and everything, is I light a candle every single day in the morning and in the evening. And that's probably one of my biggest practices is uh, sitting with fire and because fire is alive and it needs air, you know, it needs oxygen just like we do to breathe and it moves and it's, it, I just, that's to me, I mean, it's not a physical thing, but that's really my one thing every single day. And so like, if I'm in a, I mean, I traveled like in a car, you know, through Central America for six months. I had candles, you know, like on the dashboard, lighting it in the morning, you know, crawling out of sleeping in a sleeping bag. And so I'm very uh, ritualistic about my my candles. Um, one of another of your myriad talents is the the fact that you describe yourself on the website as an empath. And for me, that's absolutely fascinating. I would love you to tell me how you discovered it. It sounds like your mother was part of this as well because she saw something in you from a very early age. But how did you discover that you 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 had these empathic empathic powers? I hope that I've described it properly. What are the powers? What skills does it bring? And how do you utilize the, the this talent? It's a good question. So it's this is one of my like life journeys right now around that. But <clears throat> I discovered that I had some of these intuitions and ability, like, you know, ability to feel um, what other people were feeling and then also see things um, when I was teaching yoga. So as a kid, I had it and I forgot. So like I now since as an adult, I remembered, I can remember back to childhood going, oh, yeah, that's right. That was going on. And I, I knew that. Right. But then wow. like somewhere along my socialization, I completely forgot. And right, one of my, it really happened to my- You forgot that you used to have those those instincts, those, yeah. those unusual instincts. Okay, yeah, cool. like one of like my mom, she used to say she was scared I was gonna get kidnapped. Cause like when I was four, I used to walk up to strangers and just put my hands on them and just smile. Wow. <laughs> and, like, and they'd be like, what's going on with this kid? But they could feel what I was doing. And the same thing happened when I started teaching yoga. So I, you know, I would give people adjustments. I would. Um, put my hands on people it was it's not as common anymore teaching yoga but um now, you know when I first started it was very common to do hands-on adjustment <clears throat> but my students gave me the feedback that they were feeling things so that was one of the first was that people were saying wow when you put your how first how did you know to put your hands there and I wouldn't have an answer. I just was intuitively putting my hands on certain parts of their, you know, like their back or their shoulder. Um, and then they would explain what they felt when I did it. So that was part of how I started to kind of go, oh, okay. Um, so the, you could, they would describe how they were feeling and you could see how aligned that was with how you were feeling about them. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then the same with like, I would get images sometimes 
while I was doing the adjustments and I would ask the person like afterwards because they'd be like whoa Catherine that was super intense <laughs> and I'd be like I know <laughs> you know <laughs> can you tell me what you I would always ask them first before I told them because I wanted to see if it matched because I never wanted to put an idea in someone's head so that was also and then I started seeing energy um and like the way I can describe it the first time it happened I was teaching a class and everybody just like dispersed into light. Like there was nothing solid in front of me. And mm -hmm. I got super disoriented. Uh, and, you know, some people could say, oh, it's low blood sugar. It's like, no, that's not what this was. <laughs> this is something like, um, and I was also uh, getting sick after I would teach. So I would teach a class and then I would go outside. And luckily my body knew to do this, but I would throw up. So I was taking on energy too. Um, and, you know, some people get really sick that are empathic, but again, my body had the intelligence at least to like get, you know, to throw up and let it, let the energy go. It's the toxicity of their life or something like that. I think it's other people. I think it was taking on stuff for people, you know, like they had tension or yes. And I would pick it up. And so I, at that point I reached out, to a mentor, like somebody that got recommended to me. Cause I was like, I thought I was losing my eyesight. I was like, something's wrong here. I'm like not seeing correctly. Like, you know, I'm getting sick. Like, so I, I met a woman who really helped me understand more of what was happening. And I, re I really resisted doing the work professionally. I've gone in and out of doing healing work um, with people because one of the things is I think we're already whole and complete and healed. So like, you know, like, that's why I don't call myself a healer. Like, it's like, I'm not healing anybody. I'm facilitating space. I'm holding space. Um, and, but I, <clears throat> I've had all kinds of experiences that are just unexplainable, <laughs> you know? So I go in and out, like I was doing it for a while last year. And then I had a, a lost a really good friend and I was like, all right, I'm not going to do this because I need to be grounded it's, it's pretty intense to go into space with somebody and like go into their energetic field, my energetic field, the, you know, the vibrational field of the multidimensional time space continuum and see what comes up. And, uh, however, I do know that's part of the work I'm meant to do. I just am still finding the vehicle or how, uh, it'll be the most sustainable for me as well as, you know, the best offering for others. Do you think the reason why you're a bit reticent about doing it is because of general societal skepticism? Is that part of it as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I have a real like, you know, I mean, especially now with a lot of the cultural appropriation conversations happening, I'm even more sensitive to it at the moment. But like, you know, I'm a I'm a beach kid. Right. I'm like <laughs> this this person that Californian, like, who am I to like, you know, so there's a there's a, a self-identification thing that I think is from society um, because I wasn't, I think if I had been raised in a culture that had healers where they initiated me and they taught, you know, um, taught me things, then I would feel much more comfortable about what I do. But a lot of this has been intuitively learned or, I mean, I've had like, I've, when I was in Thailand, I had a a healer on the island literally crossed the street grab me and say I have information for you so that's happened so I've had people approach me and want to teach me things wow 
um, and that's validated some of my experiences. And then, yes, mm. I have my internal skepticism uh, as well as the societal skepticism. But then there's the part of you that just wants to help. And if you feel that you can, even if it's taken from you physically and mentally, emotionally, it's something that you, you're drawn to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other part is one of the main things is I really try not to do it unless somebody asks for help, because that goes to like energetic balance. You know, if I just help somebody without the masking that can throw off their process or, uh, you know, their path in in a, in a moment. And it usually really throws me off when I do that, when I'm like, can't help myself. I'm just, like, gotta, gotta go help them. You know, like, Gotta go put my hand on their shoulder. It's like, I've learned the hard way a couple of times. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. And you, you've also got to be, you know, courageous enough, although easy for me to say, but you know, just to ignore the haters to a degree. I, I love this. There's a line in your, in the intro of your latest book, sacred breathing, sacred, sacred silence. Sacred, yeah. Sacred silence. Sorry. Which we will, we'll talk about that. But um, the quote is Western culture is enamored with the intellect while relegating the spirit to fantasy and I think that really sums up what you're talking about you know it's yeah. it's spiritualism is just although it's cool and sort of left field these days it's still you know science sort of stamps it out a lot of the time doesn't it yeah 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 and and we're getting into this really tricky place of like toxic wellness culture right where um it's still buying into individualism versus like you know the core of I think what spirituality from the base foundational teachings are really trying to offer and also uh you know that in that vein of service there's a lot yeah, of what's the intention what is the intention yeah. is it a pure and positive intention or is it a, a an, atten an intention with an agenda yeah a capitalistic agenda yeah that's the tricky one right because ultimately like i think that's one of my my where i get a little stuck on doing it in any work way is like I don't know if money's supposed to be involved, you know? And like my mentors push back on that, like it's an energetic exchange, right? Like, which, which is totally true. There, and money's energy, it gets sticky the minute you start, the minute I start selling something that's like, hey, here, here's a healing package. I just like, it really, you know? Is there a protocol? Is there, is there a way in which you summons the, the you know, get into this, into this zone or does it literally just come to you? Well, yeah, no, I definitely have a little ritual stuff that I do to help myself. Um, it used to just turn on without me know, knowing when. And that was why I sought people out to help me because that was, again, super disorienting and not sustainable. Um, but I, yeah, I use fire, you know, I use earth. And that's where like my earth medicine, like earth is a really big part. I listen to the earth. I spend a lot of time trying to hear what messages are coming from the vibrational field of our planet. And a lot of times that will help me connect with another person. It's hard to explain, but it's. Uh... Beautiful. Um, I, I interviewed a guy a few, six months ago, and I can't remember his name, but I'm going to chuck it in the, the podcast right at this point. The Natural High. And you can find that episode at thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash Brent Baum. That's B-R-E-N-T-B-A-U-M. But um, he was an empath and he scanned me remotely. What do you think about that? Like we were thousands of miles apart. Oh, yeah. On the other sides of America. It's totally possible. I've done it um, with people I've never met before. I've done work um, 
like where I offered sessions for an auction for a fundraiser, you know, um, as a, a donation and then people, yeah, across the world somehow bought it. And so you work together. I had, like, I've had where it's one, for one, one example is there was a woman in France that had a horse that was misbehaving and was biting people in the stables. And, um, I don't know how that's a, like, I still can't explain, but I was able to see the stable. I explained like what I saw. She said, yep, that's where it is. And I said, it's, um, she's in the wrong location. You need to move her to another stable. And, uh, the minute they did the horse stopped doing what it misbehaving and started, you know, being cool again. <laughs> so it's just like, but it, there, there's no protocol or, or explanation of how I knew that it's, that's where it's just information and it's doing intuition intuition and that's like the the empath you know being an empath but so when someone scans you that if you give them permission then yeah you can read people you know um and get information if if their body's beingness wants you to so that's like there has to be a uh, willingness okay so they have to be open to it yeah and i mean not always, you know, but uh, in the sense of like doing healing work, uh, if somebody's like says they're coming to test you, like they're skeptical, it makes it so much harder to actually tap in on my side of things. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, I totally believe in it. I think there's people that we all have different modalities, right? Too. So some people hear things like there's clairaudience, clairvoyance, clairsentience. Um, and so clairaudience, um, audience is like you can hear hear things clair, clairvoyance is you can see and also like sometimes see into the future clairsentience is feeling yeah so there's I think everyone has different modalities some people have all of them for me it's like a journey my whole life has become the journey of opening my heart being more in tune with the oneness and everything around me and the fact that we are all just interconnected ultimately that's how I feel um, and opening up your heart is so important. This is probably why you feel so much because you've made it a life work to open up your heart to what is around, not just, you know, in the immediate vicinity, but everything. Yeah. The cosmos. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? Strangest thing I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> oh, a really strange thing that you've seen. I mean, that you've already mentioned people turning to light. That's that's pretty crazy. I know, I know. I put that out now, like publicly, by answering that question. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you get director's cut, so you get yeah, to edit it at the end. Okay, so no, I'm I'm okay. i you know, at the end of the day, it's all good. But the I'd say, you know, one of the things like in India that I saw that was pretty strange was I saw some you know uh, like the mountain meditators and blanking on their what they're called right now but uh, because they have a there's a certain sect of uh devotees of shiva but they had like a bucket of water with a rock in it and the rock was floating and they were turning it with a stick so like they were definitely like manipulating elemental forces there's oh, they weren't actually touching the stick to the rock they were just doing it remotely but the rock was floating wow. in the water so even yeah. if they were touching this there's, right. no, yeah, yeah. there's no way it defies it, physics it defies physics so that was something that was pretty out there um yeah i i 
I'd say yeah. the other one of the coolest things I've ever seen is uh, getting to be underwater with humpback whales and like looking at them into their eyes and just seeing like the infinite wisdom that they have and they're they're hearing their songs under the water like vibrationally. I think that was one of the coolest experiences. Yeah. Wow, that sounds. They sound quite kind. Oh, they are. They're like they're cut. They're like related to the redwood trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And we spent our week last weekend in the redwoods, where where you hail from. Well, it was Aptos near near Santa Cruz, but we yeah. were in the mountains, and just so amazing to feel feel and hear nothing but nature. It's so you. special. It's so special. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. What about this book, um, Sacred Silence? You've you. It's just been published, right? It was published by yourself and your father-in-law. Well, no, I, I published it. That one I actually wrote by myself oh, um, okay, and sorry. it's self-published. So Mark, who's my stepdad, Mark Devine, um, he and I wrote a book called Kokoro Yoga. Which wow, I got that really wrong, didn't I? It's, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Pretty much he, every detail. And he uh, he formed the style of yoga that we wrote about and I, I co-authored it with him. That was And that was a really popular book, right? It was popular, yeah. It was published through St. Martin's Press and it's available. Um The Sacred Silence I published on my own uh gotcha. and just did a Kindle version. It's a part of I'm still a lot of people want me to do paperback, but I'm hesitant because of the environmental portion. So I'm thinking yeah. about doing an audio uh and audio book would be awesome yeah that's what i was gonna suggest yeah thank you and i and uh, i really did that as an offering of like simple meditation techniques because i think people tend to overcomplicate it in their heads and so i just want to be like hey here's how to like do real simple meditation um and then tell my story you know if i can do it anyone can do it so, and I made it short. So I also did it. I wrote it in a way that if you you could sit down and read it within an hour, probably. So I did all that intentionally. Wow. wow. Does Dee have it? She does. Yeah, I gave it. To her. Right. Yeah. Okay. I I will definitely be looking at that. And it also sounds like something which would be really amenable, transferable to audio, because if there's some some practices in there and stuff like that. There are. There. I wrote all the practices uh, in I statements, so like I am grateful. I am present. So that they're more like mantra. Yeah, there's a whole chapter of practice. I'm always telling my mother, trying to remind my mother about how much we should appreciate the world and how blessed we are. And she just gets so annoyed every time I, I talk to her about happiness and contentment being a daily practice. <laughs> she's not interested. No. She's quite, a, she's quite a, a sort of chirpy person, but she's got this sort of default of, you know, you know, life, it could be so much better than it is. But, you know she's got an amazing life and i think it's it's really a daily practice to be happy don't you think to to remind yourself of all the things that you may otherwise just completely take for granted like a pain-free day for example which is massive it's massive yeah the gratitude is a daily practice you know that's one of the going back to the things that i do like i light a candle and then i always pour a glass of water and i give gratitude like you're saying the level of privilege to have fresh drinking water that does not ever elude me every day i that's one of my first things is like i am so grateful to be alive and i'm so grateful i have fresh clean drinking water and every and this is a right everybody should have like we should all be able this and it shouldn't even be that i'm one of a few on the planet you know like there's some people that don't have drinking water that's clean that's ridiculous <laughs> so, anyways yeah. so grateful that i get to have the ease of pouring my water and yeah gratitude gratitude is amazing to generate 
positive, like, and, you know, not false positivity, but like real um, connectedness to the moment and life. And, and I re- learned a lot of that from the um, people who founded Cafe Gratitude. Uh, okay, yeah. Matthew and Chirsey's Engelhart. Ah, you know those guys. Yeah. I haven't met them, but I've been to the cafe. It's amazing. They're, they're phenomenal human beings and they teach just that, like gratitude, just constant yeah. gratitude. And Don't the servers ask you what you're grateful for today or something like they that do. when they're serving yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. By doing that practice, it amplifies the gratitude so much so that you feel it so much more. It's a really effective practice. It is. Even if you think you're grateful, then you can be so much more grateful and really get like a rush from that. You can get, it's like a, it's a vibrational field. It, it right. is. And it, and it generates other people, people feel it. It's, it's pretty cool to play with actually generating gratitude around oneself and seeing how it pings to like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, your website's called Earth Medicine Love. And I don't know, again, I haven't done too much research into to what degree you are into plant medicine, the the power of plant medicine. Ayahuasca, have you ever experienced ayahuasca? Yeah, so that's, uh, plant medicine is somewhat new to me. Um, You know, besides like recreationally, you know, dabbling in life of, you know, eating some mushrooms and, you know, walking around the forest or the desert somewhere and, uh, I got introduced to ayahuasca about six years ago, six years ago, maybe seven years ago now. And, um, it was not something I was looking for. And oddly, I had a dream the week before I got introduced to it about an ayahuasca ceremony. And in my dream, the ayahuasca was talking to me. And I, and I asked one of my friends who had, had been, in the med- plant medicine world for a long time. What do you think it means? And she was like, I don't know. I'll talk to my shaman. And uh, anyway, she went off to Spain, I think was where she was going to see her group of people. And I went off to where I was going. And it turned out that there was a ceremony that was being offered in this environment that I went into. And because it's actually, I think if I hadn't had the dream, I would not have done it. But because of the dream, I decided that, you know, I would go for it and see what happened. And definitely- Because it's never it's never really ever billed as a recreational drug, is it? It's not billed in that way at all. No, and nor, sh- I mean, I cannot, like that was, I came home and like told my family about it. You know, my mom, my stepdad, my sister, I was like, this happened, you know, this happened and oh my goodness, like it was- So what happened? Um, well, it just, I, I went where I went, to the place in that ceremony that I had been in my deepest meditation. And so it like reminded me of universal consciousness, light, love. Um, and also all this cleansing of like just karmic things like past, past in this lifetime things. And then also connecting to like essences of myself I had forgotten about so that was like the first experience like I mean it's so hard to put words to you know uh, one guy that I worked with around the medicine he says yesterday's ceremony is tomorrow's ego trip (laughs) say that again yesterday's ceremony is tomorrow's ego trip right okay gotcha and like so it's like you know it's hard to articulate because it it is medicine and so yeah recreational so when i came home and i told my mom they're like well we're a little concerned you know but like 
And I was like, oh, don't worry. This is not something like, yeah. like, like I can't wait to go do Every it Every Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's not how it is. So, right. Um, was it a seminal experience for you, would you say? Was it something that was very necessary in your life? Because it's something which I, I would definitely like to try at some stage, although I don't know if I'll ever get around to it. Um, I think it changed my life. It changed, you know, I've gone into um, where I do a few ceremonies every year. I found a, a person in South America that I really um, feel comfortable with and trust and uh and, and that's got to be a big part of it as well, taking when you're taking such a powerful substance to have somebody, a, a shaman that you trust or a person that you that you trust, that you really trust around Absolutely. You. Yeah, I think with the, as it gets more and more popular, it, it's definitely interesting to see kind of how like, you know, it's just being, all these ceremonies are being held all over the place. So I'm like, I don't, going back to, I was already doing time, space, multidimensional travel without taking anything. <laughs> You know? mm -hmm. yep. And so like the spirit world, all those things, like that's not something to play with. Like, and I think that there can be this attitude sometimes of playing and, uh, or, or not knowing like what you're really getting yourself into. So a shaman that really understands how to protect certain like portals and doorways. And this sounds, I know, kind of out there, but it's like, that's super key for, especially for me, it's, it's important, maybe not for everybody. How did it change you? Well, you said it changed your life. How did it change your life? I think it's helped me understand more about uh, humanity and, and kind of where we are as a species, uh, as well as some of the, like, the intuitive stressors that I can feel like around the earth. I think it's shown me that like I spent one ceremony just literally feeling the um, degradation and the the crap that we've done to the earth. It was abuse. daily abuse, straight abuse. And it was horrific. It was like so intense, you know, when you do think about the status quo and the world around us, does it not leave you? feeling really sad because it definitely does me the more I think about it the more sad I become that's not a reason not to try and do something positive but it, it is it's really upsetting well it is I'm a perpetual way. optimist so I I like to believe that um it's possible that we can turn around make you know turn things around uh it does make me feel sad if I really think about it too hard but yeah i try to be productive about it and just do my day-to-day -day, like you know go with my dollar make as good choices as i can um and then i'm trying to work on how can i say things on a on a bigger scale i think film is probably one of the best venues for it you know be yeah, absolutely yeah um because I just watched a documentary the other day called Breaking Boundaries. I don't know if you've seen that. No, haven't. It's on Netflix and it was it was it was eye-opening. Like basically, like, hey man, if we don't start changing some of this, you know, behavior as humans, we are gonna be in trouble. But we still have time. So like I I'll hold on to that we still have time in this moment. 
I love your optimism and I'm, I definitely share your overall optimism. But yeah, I, one of the questions I regularly ask is, you know, do you think that we will change our ways after COVID or do you think we'll just go back to business as usual? And, you know, even something as serious as that, for me, it almost just feels like I know there must be some great new initiatives, you know, in, in, the, in the sort of pipeline now based on what's happened over the last two years but that really is you know covid is a classic example of as with so many pandemics and so many really bad serious illnesses and the breakout viruses it's about us our relationship with animals and our relationship with the planet and it still feels to me like when we don't really look at that bigger picture with covid it just feels like it's almost a question of like we need to industrialize even more now because we need to make up for lost time you know we need to repair our this whole idea of build back better it's a lovely idea with with, you know the american infrastructure but it's still just a few words isn't it and i i wonder how much it's going to actually take for us to systematically change the way we live our lives from it on a day-to-day basis because we're still going in the wrong direction we're not even going in the right direction slowly for me at the moment no we're still going in the wrong direction with the way that we live our lives yeah i agree i think that's why i think film or storytelling or music too are some of the best venues because what has to happen is we need to wake up the sleeping masses right and i think infiltrating and, and, you know, I don't like to say manipulating, but infiltrating through like, if you can make a Marvel comic movie that actually like makes people think about this, like really think about it and go home and go, Oh shit, excuse me. Like I should stop, you know, consuming plastic and driving a four by four when I never go out into the mountains and use it, you know, like this is an issue. I need to go meet my neighbor. I need to, you know, volunteer and, start looking in the eyes of the homeless people, like there has to be a huge shift consciously for a large group of people. But I also think the real danger is that a lot of people, and probably myself included to a degree, we just think, you know, subconsciously just blame politicians. If you've got something to blame, then that then you're good enough. Because even if you're not doing anything on on a personal basis to improve the world day to day, or you just improve the way in which you live your life in terms of your your just your family environment and the amount of waste that you produce, um, people just people slag off the politicians and they almost think that's sort of an excuse for their own inactivity. But that doesn't wash, does it? No. Blaming politicians for everything, hating Donald Trump, that is not enough. That's not going to change things. No. What we need to do. It's part of the problem because it's separatism. It's thinking you're separate from, right? And so right. there's, I mean, and I say this, like you're saying, from a privileged standpoint. So I have the privilege. I'm not in a survival mode. I get to think about these things and speculate and come up with. But, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day um, like, I really think we, that like governments need to start holding large corporations for like crimes against humanity. Like, let's look at the oil. Like, it needs to get to that level. Like, mm. it, it's uh, we're at that point. But I don't, I don't have an answer because I think it's a literal like a shift. You know, um, a paradigm shift. It's such a. It's first of all, it's a complex issue in the environment, right? Um, and how in society and global society so there there's so many moving parts to it uh so there is no simple answer this is going to take efforts and and maybe just like possibly us going the wrong direction a little longer before people go oh oh wait a second you know yeah no covid you know when people go i want to go back to normal it's like why like we saw the animals starting to come back out. We, 
the yeah. air got cleaner that like yeah what what part of that's what i that's what concerns me is how come people didn't get it like the air got cleaner in cities where it's usually toxic to breathe you know <laughs> I still think that most of us are, you know, to a degree under the illusion that materialism actually improves our lives, that the more materials we have, the better quality our life is going to be, or the more luxurious, the more, the more, you know, enjoyable, convenient, but it's, it's, you don't get the, you don't get the joy that you think you're going to get from all these materials, That's do right. you? No. And we've talked about breathing, and we've talked about nature and all this sort of stuff, and they really are the truly joyful, joyous elements of life. Um, that when you as soon as you get out there and you start experiencing it all, you realise that's what that's really what matters. But um, look, I, I I bought a bag of I bought a box of tea from Whole Foods a couple of days ago, and you know the box cardboard plastic packaging on the outside, every single tea and bag had its own packaging as well. That's right. And I just think we're going to look back in 15, 20 years time and just think how ridiculous, how unbelievable and whole you know whole foods is seen as one of the more socially sort of conscious um, um you know corporations and but they're owned by amazon now you know right. like they're yep. not anymore maybe they were 25 years ago when they originally started but they're just part of the problem now like and that's mm. so yeah you organic it's not even organic anymore like that's the that's the issue right so you're better we're better off buying local farmers yeah. at farmers markets that, that aren't certified organic and certified organic farms because certified organic doesn't mean anything anymore it's wow. become it's become so commercial that's that's the that's the issue i think of some of these movements is they get capitalized on and commercialized and they lose that original you know like let's help the planet <laughs> kind of thing yeah. so this is like where you look but for fair trade b corporation like looking for brands you know that have those stamps on them um there's another one i can't think of right now but mm -hmm. just like but yeah the packaging it's it's insane it's insane yeah. and i'm not yeah, i'm not uh innocent of buying i buy tea that's packaged individually too and uh you know it's so that's the juggle of modern life and trying to do good uh I have friends that are really sustainable living, right? Like where they grow their own food, everything's jarred, pickled, right? So there's, I would love to get there. I, you know, that's, so I, that's where I know that I'm, I'm hypocritical in some of my statements that I've said today. But that's what I'm saying that, you know, when I, when I get really down about the whole situation about the status quo, I think, well, you know, the, the answer is for us all to take uh, to be more responsible ourselves, to be more accountable. And that's how we're going to solve the problem. So all I can do is tomorrow do something which is, you know, a little bit more positive for the world, a little bit more sustainable, be a bit greener, do something, help somebody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Be be accountable for myself. And I really, that's what gives me hope. The fact that we have it within ourselves to improve things en masse. If we just, you know, shift that mentality slightly, 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 just like meditation, those layers of awareness, which come from doing it regularly. Agreed. Do you think, um, we both live in California. Do you think, well, and we're sort of at the tip of the spear of climate change and terrible things that are going on at the moment. Do you think that Californians are, are changing their ways? I suppose, again, you've got those sort of conflicting things of, we want the environment to be better, but we also live in one of the most expensive places in the world. And we've just been through a really, something that's just demolished the economy. So, you know, there's it's more of a rat race than ever in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I see California yeah, degrading more than getting better. I've really taken away all your positivity, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> Who inspires you and why? And what is 
what is it that's most exciting you right now? Who inspires? I have a, a couple people. Well, first, the ocean always inspires. Wow. You know, um, that's my like place of when I was 15, I remember I was super upset and I like rode my bike to the beach, you know, and I was like, mm. <laughs> and just upset about something. And then watching the waves and being like, oh, that's right. Like things change every day. Like sometimes it's calm and smooth. Other times it's like crazy and chaotic, right? Because that's how the ocean is. And it's unpredictable. And so the ocean inspires me just to remember like that, that universal law, like how we're talking about like, like you said, oh, I just took the wind out of your like sails, like the like the the environment, everything. It's like, but it could change, right? And that's where my perpetual right. optimism comes in. Gotcha. It could change, it. and it could be great, and we could thrive, and the trees could grow back, and the waters could be clean, and every person could have food. It it could change. It's possible. <laughs> so I'm inspired by the. Energy. Are we all running around naked in this world? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Unless you want to wear clothes. But, that, but it's so important to have a positive outlook. I really do think that's absolutely key. You've got a positive outlook. It's, so you're thinking, yeah, things could be better tomorrow. And that's what we need. It's possible. It's totally possible, you know? Um, and 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 then I would say on a person level, I'm inspired by Alma, who is a guru from India. She is a humanitarian. She, does, she travels all around the world hugging people and every dollar she raises goes back to building schools, feeding people. Um, you know, so she's, she's just, she is a powerhouse. I got to be at her ashram for a week and she was there the whole time. And I saw her speak every day and do kirtan with her and just her vibration, her like love, like that, you know, this, and I, I kind of saw it in her, the way she, she travels and hugs people like what i hear underneath that is this is how you do it and this is how you get it done you know it's just like and there's and it's the authenticity which sounds as if it was really disarming for you like that real authenticity and depth of feeling in what she was doing absolutely because i've been in the presence of other people that are called gurus and something about her definitely vibrated differently for me and just and what she does i mean every penny goes back to humanity it's it's really about service for her how do um, we find out more about her how do we alma.org we... alma she's amazing she's how do you spell that a m m a and she comes up to northern california to give hugs so she'll be there at oh, some wow. point i highly recommend getting a hug from her just for oh my you god know, <laughs> just to do I'm... it I'm so going to find out more about her. She sounds amazing. She's she's a phenomenal human being. And then I would I'm also really inspired by um, Matthew and Tiercy's Engelhart. Um, I I see them in all the work they've done around sustainable farming. Like um, their their son just put out a movie called Kiss the Ground on Netflix. That's about you know where the the soil is at this moment. Um, they've taught me about gratitude. They've taught me about community. Uh, and they are going back to like money. Like I've paid to do trainings with them. And if I email them or text them, they respond and they are so generous with their, their love, their, wow. their, their, uh, wisdom input. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're cool people. And so they inspire me because I want to be like them when I grow up for sure. Um, yeah, you know, and and then, of course, Starlight, my dog, she inspires me. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and of all of your many, many pursuits, what is it that's exciting you at the most at the moment? Or it doesn't even have to be a, a pursuit, but you know, what? yeah, what's exciting? What are you into right now? Right now I've been learning how to surf. So I grew up in the water, but I've never learned how to surf. And so that's been, I just cracked my head open on the reef last week and that was scary, but I've, that's been inspiring me because it's been getting me out into that wild of the ocean more. And um, it's also like, there's so many metaphors for life and surfing, like timing is everything. Like gotta catch the good wave, you know? <laughs> right. So what sort of level are you at then with the surfing right now? Oh. And is it a really addictive um, hobby? Because I've done it a couple of times, but I've never really, I feel guilty that I live in California and I don't surf. So I have done it throughout my life, you know, dabbled here and there and I, I actually lost a really good friend and something about them passing, I, I am like in it now. I want to surf for their, you know. It's, for their honor, it's on. love it. Yeah. In, mem in memory of them, that's wonderful. And, yeah, and then I would say my other mission is like what I'm sharing with you, trying to figure out because art is my venue, you know, or my modal, like of how to talk about what we're talking about around waking people up. And I say, I hope that doesn't sound judgmental, but just like, you know, getting the message out there about being connected to the earth, connected to our neighbors, uh, getting more anchored in love, not fearing one another, um, less, you know, living sustainably, how to do that. And I've been, so I'm really excited about that because I can feel it like percolating. Wonderful. No idea Wonderful. how it'll manifest. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. We can't leave it all to the younger generation, can we? We've got to do some good work. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it for them, right? So I've got kids in my life, like my nieces and nephews and stuff. And yeah, I've got to help, help light the path. Hey, that's what gives me some real hope and optimism when I look at how conscientious the younger generation are. Yes, absolutely. Which is wonderful. Oh my God. You know what? Like, it's been an hour and a half now. I've just ha felt so relaxed having this conversation with you. Yeah. It's been so educational, but it's been really just joyful and relaxing. It's been wonderful. Uh, you made it easy to chat with you. You're awesome. And, and uh, yeah, for, for your mission, what you're doing with the podcast and just the questions that you ask, you know, it, it's, I look forward to seeing how you continue to share the messages. Oh, Great to get to know you a little better. Definitely. We've got to hang out soon. Yes. Yes. Soon. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to get back to my beleaguered wife now and okay, take, well, take the reins for a little while. <laughs> happy Friday. And say yeah, hello, hello to your, your beautiful wife. I will, of course. And thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I can't wait for us to all meet up in the flesh. Yeah, me too. Me too. Look after yourself. Okay, you too. Bye, Alice. Take it easy. <sighs> the natural high. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.